So Money Episode 218, Nate Burkus. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, kicking off Monday with my friend and design guru, Nate Burkus, someone I've wanted to have on the show since its inception back in January. However, Nate's had a pretty busy year, just a little, including celebrating the 20th anniversary of his design firm and even more excitingly, becoming a dad. He and husband Jeremiah are now the proud fathers to baby girl Poppy Brent Burkus. Now, just to give you some background on Nate, in 2002, he was invited to make over a small space for the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, Oprah came a calling. And after that, Oprah kind of fell in love with him, as did America. And Nate was invited to come back and back and back as a featured design expert on the Oprah Winfrey show. He continued to garner national press and publications from El Decor to Architectural Digest, House Beautiful, Us Weekly, people, yes, the paparazzi do love Nate, as well as InStyle, O Magazine, and Lucky Among Many Others. Following the debut of his branded line of home products, Nate's first book, Home Rules, was released in 2005, and it went on to become a New York Times bestseller. Then came The Nate Burkus Show, a daily syndicated first-run talk show hosted by Nate, launched in September of 2010, and returned for a second season in the fall of 2010. And I actually had the privilege of being a guest expert on Nate's show and working with him to help families all across the country save money. And I have to tell you, I grew up a lot on that show professionally. I had the chance to really immerse myself in this money space. He gave me the opportunity to work so closely with men and women all over the country, families that needed financial help. And it was during a time when our country was really at a loss. So it was a huge honor for me to be able to step in and help his audience, and I'm forever indebted to Nate Burkus. In 2011, he also enjoyed a new role as executive producer on the Disney and DreamWorks film, The Help. Did you know this? I did not know this until the credits ran and I was like, wait a minute, that Nate Burkus? Yes, that Nate Burkus. He is kind of a renaissance man, this Nate Burkus. His design firm, Nate Burkus Associates, which he founded in 1995, continues to design interiors across the country and around the world. And as I said earlier, it is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. In fall 2012, Nate brought his branded line of home goods and accessories to, you've probably seen it, Target, Target stores all over the country. In addition, he published his second book, The Things That Matter. His fabric collection, which is sold at Calico Corners, launched in January of 2013, and it is available at Fabricut and launched at Joanne Fabric and Craft Stores in August 2014. Nate was also the host, judge, and executive producer of NBC's American Dream Builders, which aired in spring 2014, and he is currently artistic advisor for the LG Studio line of appliances. Whew, exhale. That is a lot of jobs. I bow to Nate Burkus. We talked a lot during this interview about how he got started, his philosophy on all sorts of things, in particular money. Some takeaways from our conversation 
include the consistent financial habit that Nate performs that shows his respect and appreciation for money. I have to say I took notes during that part because I think that's something that even I could do and I can do better. Talked about how as the resident design expert on The Oprah Winfrey Show, how that relationship catapulted his career and what he learned most from that experience. And squashing fears and anxiety over money. Nate's financial philosophy will have you wanting to take healthier financial risks in life. And so without further ado, here we go. Nate Berkus. Nate Berkus, welcome to So Money. What an honor to have you on the show. I'm a little nervous, I have to say, because the roles are reversed. I was on your show <laughs> a few times back when you had your daily talk show. And uh, I just want to say thank you for doing this great honor for us and being on So Money. My pleasure, Farnoosh. It's good to be with you again. This has been quite the year for you, and it's only August. You have welcomed home a brand new baby girl, Poppy. And it's the 20th anniversary of your design firm. So is there anything that could possibly top this year? I don't think so. <laughs> I think that this year is... I would. I will be very surprised if there's anything that that, uh, that comes down the pipeline in the next few months that... Um, well, there's definitely nothing more important than the birth of um, our daughter. And um, it's really a nice place to be 20 years into the design firm that I founded in Chicago because... I'm really proud of my team, of the collective body of design projects that we've done all over the world together. And um, truthfully, it, with a 20-year runway, you start to work out what you think are most of the kinks. So we're, we're really in a good place. We're doing fantastic um, work, I think. And more importantly than that, I think my team and I are exactly where we want to be, that our professional life is very much aligned with what our passions are. And I love that. And I think that that's always been the secret to success. Well, I love that also you're making your work so accessible and your your ideas so accessible to everyday Americans and people all over the world. I mean, I walk into Target and there you are. I'm so excited about that collection because it really like it, everyone says Target is like Target. It's where you go to find, you get more for uh, less, but your line there truly it feels rich, and it's so money. Talk a little bit about that because that has evolved too over the years. Well, the Target, you know, it's funny because I actually spoke to Target almost ten years ago, and I wanted to have a long-standing collection there that I could um, keep redoing and refreshing periodically. And at the time, Target was interested in doing sort of one-off collections. And so we passed because I had felt really strongly that the Nate Burkis brand at Target could be really successful, that it could translate sort of all of the vintage finds and all of the best crafts and all of the different materials that I was seeing as I traveled the world. And I wanted it to have a runway. Um, and you can't do that with something that's on the shelves for, you know, a couple of months and then goes away. So the people can expect to see um, Nate Burgess at Target for a long time. Um, we refresh the, the collections every few months um, or as needed. Everything is designed internally. My team, my Chicago-based team and I start the beginning of every season talking about what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've watched and what we've touched and what materials we're interested in and what we think will resonate with people. And I guess the most fundamental difference between that I see between my collection at Target versus any other relationship that I've had is that 
I feel very strongly that our home should be a place that we love and that they should tell our story. And the way that we tell our story in our homes is through the things and the choices that we make and what we allow into them. So it's never been my intention from day one at Target a couple of years ago um, through the collection that's landing in stores in a couple of weeks to have somebody tell my story in their home. The collection's meant to mix and match with things that people already are living with and that they love. It's an opportunity for somebody to just turn the cart in the aisle and just kind of smile because they see a vase or a picture frame or a color of a towel or a bedding that they really like and connect to and can see living with on a daily basis. And so I've had a ton of fun. I continue to have a ton of fun. My team and I have, you know, it's, it's a very funny thing to be designing a collection because some ideas are great and some ideas are absolutely terrible. And, you know, we catch them usually during the sampling phase when we're in the downstairs basement of a huge target office is going through all the samples and seeing how they'll look together in the store. But the most important thing is that we have a ton of fun doing it. And I think that that comes through with the collection. I really like that saying that your home should tell a story, hopefully not a very cluttered story. You've said in interviews right. that your home is pretty simple. It's, it's uh, what, what story would we would we see, would we hear, would we be looking at if we were to walk through one of your homes? And I know, where is home for you now? Home is New York and Los Angeles. Um, and I'm going to let your audience decide what story they think my home tells in Architectural Digest in the October issue coming out soon. Ooh, suspense. Um, so, yeah, we've been keeping everything under wraps um, in terms of the design of the apartment in New York that Jeremiah and I did together. But I really love how it came out, and um, it'll be featured in the magazine in October. I can tell you it is honestly the truest reflection of both who Jeremiah, my husband, and I are in terms of our aesthetics and what we reach for. And it's a home that's a mix of a lot of different styles with not a tremendous amount of color. But it is, as we look around the room, we can remember exactly where we were when we found a piece or when we decided that it was something that we thought was worthy of crossing the threshold into our lives. And that is really, I think, the the big lesson in design, even with all of these opportunities and choices that people have to make. It's you have to stand at the at your front door and say, this piece can come in, this painting, this photograph, this sofa, this pillow, because I love it. And I want to, I want to see it every day. I want to interact with it. Um, so the home is, some people will love it. Some people may not connect to it, but for us, it's authentic. Interesting that Jeremiah also comes from a style background. He's a designer, right? He's a, he's, he has his own interior design firm as well. And, um, he's working on projects all over the country. And he's also the host of a new show on OWN called Homemade, Sw- uh, not a new show, but he's the new host of a show called Homemade Simple on OWN, which will air on Saturday mornings. Such a compliment to what you do as well. Do you find yourselves at odds sometimes? And if so, who wins? We never fight about design. It's never. <laughs> we, no, we can like go to divorce. Never. We actually both really enjoy it. I mean, we can go to divorce court over who ate the last piece of pizza. <laughs> but if it's picking out a coffee table, we, 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 there's no ego involved. I mean, and, and as everyone knows, there's no, there's not one correct way to do something, to furnish a room, to paint uh, a, a color to paint a color on the walls to figure out what goes on your coffee table. I mean, that's the beautiful part about design that the, the, that everyone 
is allowed to have an opinion and everyone should have an opinion. And hopefully when you're collaborating, and that's really what he and I do in our own homes, um, two opinions are better than one. The project becomes more interesting and more thoughtful and more layered. Um, and so that's why we both kind of keep our eye on the ball and just enjoy it. It's what we'd like to do on a Saturday. Well, we look forward to that October issue. And I assume there'll be a nursery decorated in there as well, right? Yes. And that was so hard not to share the nursery because for me, um, on all my social media channels, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, everyone was like, please, please show us the nursery. But we had promised it to Architectural Digest along with the rest of the apartment. And um, I, I think it's really special. I've never seen a nursery like it. Well, Nate, when you had me on your show a few times, um, we you were very, I think, one of what made you stand out, one of the things was that you really were in tune to your audience's need to save money. So whether it was in the designs that you would uh, suggest and show that were very affordable to even having couples on that were, you know, having issues with debt or wanting to save money. I thought that was a very, um, just a, a really great way to be in touch with your audience. So I'm curious, this show is about money and my audience loves hearing from entrepreneurs and people that they, that they admire about your money story. Um, starting with, if you had one or if you have one, a financial philosophy, something that has carried you through perhaps building your business and even now as, um, as a husband, as a dad, you know, what is your financial philosophy? My financial philosophy, and you know, it's, it's, it's really never evolved. Um, from day one, I've always noticed and, and believed and still believe that there's a lot of fear that people have around money, not having it, spending it on the wrong things, um, losing it. Um, making bad decisions. And, and I think that that fear is really paralyzing. So my, my decision when I started my design firm at, at 22 years old in Chicago was I'm not going to be afraid of money. I'm not going to be afraid of having it. I'm not going to be afraid of earning it. I'm not going to be afraid of making a mistake with it. I'm going to just be very aware and I'm also going to take the risks that I think and I truly believe will pay off for me. And um, some of some of them have worked and some of them haven't. But I think when we approach money with this anxiety, there's that old saying, you always get what you fear. And I think that that, that can be true with, with finances as well as with anything in life. Did you witness this growing up, this anxiety, this fear? Because I'm curious, as an adult, if this was something that you were so conscious about, maybe it was something that you observed as a kid. My parents weren't fearful about money. Um, you know, they were comfortable. They weren't, um, you know, which we were very fortunate. Um, but they weren't afraid to take a risk with money or reach for real estate and have things be tight for a little while. They weren't afraid to invest, I think, in their ideas and in themselves. 
And I think that that lesson was sort of, that was the sort of genesis of the lesson for me, where I, you know, my mother was an interior designer and an artist. And when she started a jewelry line, she went and bought what she needed for it. And she wasn't afraid that it would never sell or wasn't afraid that she wouldn't be able to do it well. She just sort of went forward. There was an intrepidness about both of my parents around finances. And, um, you know, again, it sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But but I think that um, that for me, um, for instance, I've never I've sacrificed to to buy the next apartment or renovate the next house personally, or um, and I've always been very clear on how I wanted to live and what it would cost in order to live that way. And I recognize that that's you know that that it's not universal. Um, and I certainly did connect to my audience and understand that no matter who you are, you have a budget. Um, it may be unfathomable to somebody what, what, what one person's budget is, how much or how little, but the truth is, is that everybody, nobody wants to lose money and give money away. But I really do think that, um, if you can get your brain around it emotionally, if you can contain the fear around not having money, the chances are you're going to pave the way for yourself to be more successful. Yeah, it's like sim- similar to what some of my guests have shared with me on this show is that, you know, you want to live in a world where you recognize that the world is abundant and it's a choice. Yep. It's a choice. You can decide so to, to see choice. it that way. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, truthfully, I've always said that there's two types of people in the world, the people who operate from a place of fear for the people who operate from a place of abundance. And you know right away when you meet somebody, if they're coming from a place of fear, they're, there's a lack of confidence, there's a, they're, they're suspicious of other people, um, you know, there's lots of sort of uh, traits and, and behaviors that are fear-based. They're never wrong, they never make a mistake, they live in fear of making a mistake, versus somebody who... Um, is vulnerable and comes from a place of abundance. If I make a mistake, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll be able to handle the consequences. I'll, you know, I'll move forward. I'll admit my shortcomings. I'll, 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 I'll be open about, um, the mistakes I've made so other people may learn from them. And I think that vulnerability, Brene Brown, um, who's a clinical researcher from the University of Houston and quite brilliant, did a TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability. And, um, and she stated in the talk that creativity is the birthplace of, or vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity. We have to be vulnerable to be creative. And um, I think, you know, to be successful, you also have to be vulnerable. I totally agree. And Brene, like you, is a friend of Oprah. And I want to talk about that for a little bit, if I may, because I think um, I don't, we all wish that in, you know, in all our lives, a little Oprah might fall. And in your life, it was when you were very young, starting out with your design firm. And I believe I read that um, one of her producers came to one of your openings and one thing led to another and you went on her show. And to, if you can talk a little bit about that relationship that you have with Oprah, the, the greatest lesson you've learned from her. And uh, yeah, just indulge us, if you may, for a little bit, Nate, because we all want to, you're sure. like first one degree away from Oprah at this point for all of us. So we, <laughs> Exactly. <we'd> love- <laughs> one degree from Oprah and like 30 from Kevin Bacon. Right. Um, the um no the, the 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 relationship that i had with the with oprah and her show lasted for um well it still sort of lasts until today 
the Oprah Winfrey show ended a few years ago, but, um, you know, it was, it was great timing for everyone involved. HGTV was just launching design was sort of starting to get some buzz on television makeovers had just started. And, um, it did happen that way. I met one of the producers at an art opening that I was having in my gallery space in Chicago at the time. And, um, one thing led to another, it was very organic. And about a year later, one of the producers, not the woman I met called and said, we're, we're wondering if you would be interested in doing a small space makeover in Boston for the show. And I said, sure. It sounds like fun. When is it? And they said, tomorrow you need to get on a plane in an hour. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. So we, you know, we were able to actually sort of, I would take the excitement from the situation and channel that into making some productive decisions and contacting some national uh, home improvement chains and finding out who we could have perform the work on such short notice and would they be interested in being involved in the show. And, you know, again, this is back in the early days. This is, we were all working off of Android flip phones. There was no Blackberry. Um, we were trying to organize details for a renovation that was 1500 miles away. And in the end, it worked out great. And the audience really responded to it. And Oprah lifted my hand and said, Nate Burkus, remember his name. And I knew at that moment that I had sort of a big responsibility and that I was also being given a huge gift that what I loved to do, which was transform spaces, would now have the opportunity to be seen by millions of people around the world. And I took that responsibility very seriously. Um, in over 150 makeovers through the course of the Oprah show, um, I behaved from a work ethic standpoint the same way um, in the last and in, that I did in the first, because you're really only as good as your last body of work. And I don't believe in resting on your laurels. I don't believe that your our reputations, you know, should should precede us in terms of our work lives and 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 how people should evaluate us. And since I was going on national television on such a fantastic, um, not only large but spiritual and emotional and 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 layered platform that the Oprah Winfrey Show was and and meaningful platform. Um, I knew that I had to um, toe the line and just show up every single time with the same amount of enthusiasm, the same amount of creativity, and um, the same amount of, of effort. Um, needless to say, the relationship lasted, I think, as long as it did because um, I had a terrific relationship with my production team, and we were able to evolve as the as the world evolved around Design TV, where we would call a company and ask for a sofa the first couple of times we did makeovers on Oprah and they'd say, Oh, we can't get that to you. Of course, by the end, people were like, my office was filled with catalogs of people hoping that we would put their sofa on the show. So it was, it was, it was a great, it was great for a number of reasons. Most of all, I think a lot of people like myself who have sort of, um, fancy residential design firms don't get the opportunity to meet people all over the country and understand the power of transformation, transforming a space and how people really will live in that. And that I think is to go back to your earlier, very generous statement about my own connection to my audience of my daytime talk show. Um, that's where that came from. 
because I recognize that if I was going to be a guy out there designing pillows and somebody at the end of the month had an extra $25 to spend and they chose to spend that $25 on something that I designed, that was a responsibility that I wanted to take seriously. So that's why the quality of the collection is what it is at Target. That's why I sort of moved through the world aware of the fact that, um, when you put things into the marketplace, they have to deliver what you what you say that they will. You mentioned earlier, Nate, that after 20 years of of building your business, uh, you look back and you were there were some kinks to work out. What was one that maybe had a financial bend to it that that was like a financial issue? Or I, I ask my guests this question often, which is name a financial failure of sorts that you experienced. What did you learn from it? If you have a story like that, we'd love to hear. It. And if not, something of that nature where you had a financial kink to iron out and how did you deal with it? You know, first of all, running a business is, 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 is especially running a, a design firm is I would say half creative, half administrative and financial. And I think the biggest mistake that I made when I started my firm was I was, I, I, I believed that I could do it all. I believed that I could come up with this incredibly creative and beautiful solution for somebody's living room and have my accounting be perfect as well. And it was probably into my very first design project where I was like, this is a train wreck. I can't add. Um, I'm terrible with math and I'm have no business doing this. I'm the guy that should be looking at the lines of the furniture and the scale and, and what pieces should, should come in and what pieces of the clients should go. And I need help. I need somebody who's got a really great mathematical brain to be like, no, 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 no. This is how it works. And strangely enough, the accountant in Chicago who incorporated my company 20 years ago, the articles of incorporation have his name on them, is still my accountant today. Wow, you pick them good. I guess I do. <laughs> That's really impressive because I've now I've probably fired two accountants in just, I don't know, five years. It's really hard to find people you can trust with your Bernice, money. I have to tell you with all due respect, I would never be your accountant. <laughs> I guess that sounds like yeah. the worst job in the world. Oh, I guess that's kind of a compliment that you just gave me. Um, it is a huge compliment. Thank I'd be you. Terrified. <laughs> no, but seriously, I guess this uh, segues us into another good money question, which is that how do you how do you feel people out people who are going to help you with your money? And I'm sure you've uh, you've got a few people helping you with your business and your investments. So how do you uh, how do you become, how do you judge character? You know, I, that is a really scary question in the days of, you know, post Madoff and, and all of these situations. I mean, I do it the same way. I pick a dermatologist and, and a nanny. It's through word of mouth and through my gut instinct and through references that I check. So my finances are run by Keith Bloomfield, who is at Forbes Financial in New York. We have a very open, honest dialogue constantly. He tells me what he thinks I can do and what I can't. Um, he's also a personal friend. So I, you know, the, it, I chose to work with him based on, based on our relationship and watching him do things for other people that I'm friends with that I'm able to have open conversations with about, um, how he performed for them. And, um, you know, you, I think you just do the best that you can. Um, it just, you know, to cross the T's and dot the I's in terms of um, 
checking the 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 references and the and the past performance. Let's uh, talk about habits. What's a good financial habit that you practice? It doesn't have to be every day, but it is something that you practice with consciousness. And I tell you, this is probably the m- most minor thing, but it elevates my consciousness about money. I cannot have the bills in my wallet be disorganized. They all have to be facing the same way, and they all have to be in order in terms of uh, the um, in, in terms of the the bills. So I um, and it's interesting because when you take money out from an ATM or when somebody gives you change, it takes that beat to put the ones together and the fives together and the twenties in, in the back and make sure they're all facing the same direction. But I've always believed that if you're not organized with your money, it's a sign of just not respecting your money. And every time I do that, which is multiple times a day, um, whenever you buy something with cash or take money out of the bank, um, Whenever I do that, it reminds me how important it is to respect money. I need to do that more often because I find myself like at, in line at Starbucks and, and they're very nice at Starbucks, but there's a huge line of people behind you. So I feel this need to just get out after I make my order and just shove the money in my purse or in my pocket or in my wallet. So, and you know what? It does bother me because I'm not... Yeah, it bothers me yeah. because it's disrespectful to, to money. And I think that, you know, I'll step aside and let the person in line behind me do it, but I'll hold the money in my hand until I can put it away correctly. And it's funny because I'm always on Jeremiah about that too. I'm like, listen, you can't just shove money in your jeans. Like, <laughs> I love that too. any money in your laundry ever. You no know, one has ever said this to me, although I've heard, I've heard around that there are people who literally iron their money. I don't know if well, that's, I'm never doing that. Yeah, that's a little. That, 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 at that point, you're like, "What's my time really worth?" Yeah, exactly. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. You've been such a fun guest, Nee. I'd love to get your stream of consciousness answers to these to these sentences that there are sort of these fill in the blanks that I created. So the first one is, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won a hundred million dollars, the first thing I would do is pay my taxes. So okay. That would be what? <laughs> that's the first thing. Yeah. That's good. We're done. Yeah, Moving on. Um, yep. That's it. <laughs> and then with whatever's left, maybe you'd go to a nice dinner. Exactly. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, help. Like, like um, we have a nanny for our daughter who's literally worth her weight in gold. Um I really am very conscious of how much time I devote to different things because if it costs me more to do something and I could be shifting my focus onto something else, then I'm happy to pay someone to do it. One thing that I splurge on or my biggest guilty pleasure is? I mean, furniture and decoration. Where do you, you find know, your if, stuff? If I, in, I find it all over. I, I work on, I look on first dibs. Um, in fact, I, I buy so many things that now I have my own storefront on first dibs, so I sell the things I don't want anymore. Um, but I, I, I am constantly searching, and quite honestly, when that moment hits for me, when I discover a new artist or a painter, when I find a new ceramicist new to me from the 50s or something, um, and I really connect to something, I pretty much have to have it. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? Um, 
My parents were pretty good preparing me, I have to say. I don't have an answer for that one. Yeah, they did a really awesome job. I think so. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because... Um, I do donate. I do give a lot of money away. Um, but I think my favorite place to give money to is, um, no kill animal shelters. I, I have like a, a whole connection to a, a, one of the first no kill animal, animal shelters in Chicago called Paws. Pets are worth saving. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that I do, like if I'm asked to be on Hollywood game night, for instance, or, <laughs> Um, if there's a lot of things where people ask you to be involved in something, um, but you don't really win money, you win the opportunity to donate what you win to a cause of your choice. Mm -hmm. Those are usually, um, at the, usually front runners, but I try and spread it out. And last but not least, I'm Nate Burgess. I'm so money because. Because <laughs> I keep my wallet organized. <laughs> yes. Uh, short of ironing your bills, you keep them straight and organized. We love that. And I think that's a really important tip because I, I need to do that. I need to be more conscious about that. It's getting to, it's getting out of hand. I have a one year old as well, or your baby is less than a year. She was born this right. year. She's, four, she's almost five months. Five months. So any teeth yet? No, but she has her finger in her mouth 18 hours a oh, day, it's so com- we know they're coming. Yeah, they're coming soon. Yeah. So cute. Well, uh, Nate, thank you so much for joining me and um, wishing you, I don't know, again, how this year could get any better, but uh, we'll be looking out for that Architectural Digest issue and looking forward to seeing the story that your home tells. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Farnish. And I may call you back for financial advice about the tooth fairy. Don't go away. Yeah, I have to think about that one, too. All right, I'll be here. I'll be on standby. Excellent. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Nate Burkus for joining me on the show today. To learn more about Nate and follow him, please check out his website, nateburkus.com. He is also on Twitter at Nate Burgess. All this information at SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can grab the transcript from this interview as well as the comments. And there you can also, many things you can do on SoMoneyPodcast.com. You can leave me a question. Every Saturday and Sunday, I answer your questions, money questions, career questions, whatever, dot, dot, dot. It's your chance to ask me anything, really. And I take every question seriously. So I would love to hear from you. And if you want a special 15-minute one-on-one with me, I give away one a week. And the way that I determine who gets this is I go onto iTunes and I see who has left a new review for this show. So if you would like to connect with me one-on-one for a free 15-minute money blitz over Skype, leave me a review and hopefully we will connect. Thanks again to my guest, Nate Burkus, and for you to tuning in. Hope your Monday is so money.